Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Join Tyler and his team as they unlock the secrets to achieving financial independence through wealth building strategies inspired by Robert Kiyosaki and other thought provoking leaders. Learn to build leveraged streams of cash flow that land in your pocket and improve your quality of life. Gain access to cutting-edge ideas that will increase your productivity and streamline your success. Find out how to supercharge your retirement plan so you won't have to retire with a pay cut. You can escape the rat race. Are you ready? It's time to Learn to Earn with Tyler Chef. Welcome to the Cashflow Guys podcast. It's that time again. We are here for another episode. And today, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk about FOMO. Some of you are probably wondering, what the heck is he talking about FOMO? FOMO stands for fear of missing out. And I'm going to read to you Wikipedia's explanation of this. And bear with me. This is a rough one. Fear of missing out or FOMO is a pervasive apprehension that others might be having rewarding experiences from which one is absent. In other words, I'll keep it simple because I like to dumb it down because I'm not that smart. That means basically somebody else is winning and you're not. In other words, you're kind of the fat kid sitting in the sandbox all by yourself. Somebody else is getting all the, the presents and the toys and you're not boo who. So this is considered social anxiety. And uh, Wikipedia talks about it is characterized by a desire to stay continually connected with what others are doing. <laughs> Sounds like Facebook. We should just call it Facebook-o or Facebook-mo or something like that. FOMO is also defined as a fear of regret, which may lead to a compulsive concern that one might miss an opportunity for social interaction, novel experience, or a profitable investment or other satisfying events. Uh, Wikipedia goes on to talk about, in other words, FOMO perpetuates the fear of having made the wrong decision on how to spend time. As you can imagine how things could be different. Well, folks, there you have it. There's your definition of FOMO, fear of missing out. Now, some of you are thinking, well, what does that have to do with real estate investing? You know, I, because I'm on Facebook too much, wondering why the helicopter's flying over my head and I got to post it in my Facebook group. What does that, how does that equate to real estate investing? And I want to talk about that this week. Ask yourself this question. Are you the type of person who's getting frustrated because you cannot find a deal no matter how hard you look, right? And you guys know, know by now that we can't find deals. We got to create them. But do you find yourself looking everywhere, turning over every stone, and you're coming up empty every single time, over and over and over again? Worse, do you find yourself writing offers that are quickly rejected? You spend a lot of time putting this offer together, you work with the realtor, you're doing whatever you're doing, and you just can't seem to get over your offers accepted. For whatever reason, you just keep writing them and you're, you're offering more money in different terms. And, and no matter what you do, you just can't get your offers accepted. Have you ever wondered why prices are so high right now? And does that alone make you want to buy now before they get any higher? Ask yourself that question. The fact that, well, let's be honest, folks, the day is gone where housing was affordable, right? Some of us are wondering, 
is there a limit to this? How much farther can we possibly go? I, you know, my daughter just bought her first property. We had to look long and hard. She wound up buying the property that she's renting. And it wound up basically being about the same amount of money. She did have some somewhat of a savings and she does have the ability to gain equity. Quote, I say that tongue in cheek, but gaining equity because at the end of the day, if she plans on get, getting rid of it in the next seven to 10 years, I doubt there's going to be any equity there because I feel that there's probably going to be a market correction. There again, fear of missing out, maybe a little bit of scarcity, but let's be honest, folks, things are what they are. Things are getting kind of crazy out there. These are things we have to be paying attention to and focused on. So there was a time, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and, and start off with, there was a time that I used to write hundreds of offers a week. Now, in this episode, I want to talk about the emotions of buying and the philosophy of the fear of missing out. Okay. I want to talk about how that infects us as investors, because back when I was writing literally hundreds of offers per week, this is back when I was flipping houses and I had a system. Basically, all I did was change the address, the tax ID number and the price. And in some cases, I didn't even change the price. I just left the price the same and I was offering the same on 20, 30, 40 houses. I had a mill going, I had a kitchen table, big kitchen table set up. And this is back before the days of the internet. We didn't have apps and all this other stuff. We were doing it old school, literally blasting these out one after the other. You write, write an offer, write all your, your exceptions, everything you want, all the different uh, terms and conditions. And then you make, we would literally make Xerox copies. Now this is going back obviously before the internet, before Google and before all these other things. Yes, we were sitting there running, making copies old school. It's possible you millennials not pay attention. Anyway, <laughs> the problem here is all my offers are basically the same. Okay. I wasn't focused on anything else besides price. I figured one size fat fit all. That was really the only th thing that I rationalized at the time was that I needed to do a lot of them. You know, it wasn't about the quality of the offer. It was totally about the quantity of the offer. Now I will admit I did get a decent amount of offers accepted and I did buy a bunch of property. However, the quality of the deals was certainly not exceptional. You know, we had some home runs. Yes. But realistically, the deals I would say are average. We made money, but we didn't necessarily knock it out of the park on every single deal. Of course not. We had some good, some bad, some whatevers. But the reality was, is that none of our deals, well, I shouldn't say none, but we had a small handful that were really exceptional deals. The rest of them were just okay. We made enough money to cover all the bills and pay a profit or, or earn a profit, a small profit, and then move on, Right. There wasn't a whole lot of home runs. And I wonder to myself, and then of course I had the tax debacle because I was, thought I was the smartest guy in the room. Could I have done, I, and I know for a fact, I could have done much better had I sat down and focused on the needs of the sellers, not so much the fact that I was just writing them an offer. I thought I was doing everybody a favor simply by writing them an offer. And in reality, that really wasn't the case. You know, that wasn't the case. And because at the end of the day, here's the thing. I was getting offers accepted and I was doing a really good job of adding value to my portfolio, but I, I to take that back. I really wasn't doing a very good job of adding value to my portfolio. What I was doing is adding deals. You know, I was basically creating work for myself because I identified with being busy with being successful. 
Just because somebody's busy does not mean they're successful. I'm here to tell you that. I could testify to that for sure. I was that guy. I was so busy. I wasn't really making any significant money. There were periods, yes, that we had absolute killings and we had great deals come through. But looking at the whole thing, if you take the sum total of all the years I flipped houses, divide it by the number of years and average out the profit per year, it wasn't all that exciting. It, not compared to the amount of work that we did, right? So the busier I became, the less important the details became. I noticed that I started to become less and less profitable. And you would think that the more profitable you become, or the more deals you do, the more profitable you become because you have more experience. And what happens is when you get experience, sometimes you get cocky. At least I did. And when you get cocky, you start making mistakes because you're not conservative anymore. Because you start to feel like you're Teflon, you're bulletproof, right? Nothing can get to you. You're going to win no matter what. This is where things started to turn for me. This is where I really started to lose sight of what was really important. And I'm starting to see society go back that way again. You know, when my profitability decreased and my workload increased, I could start to see the writing on the wall. I knew for a fact I had the ability to create great deals. I was just impatient. I didn't want to wait for them to happen or invest the time, more importantly, in making them happen. And when that, these things started to occur, my business started making changes that I wasn't necessarily on board with. Now, fear of missing out, that's the phenomenon that involves people taking emotion-based action, which is based totally on fear of loss or fear of missing out. This is a very common affliction for real estate investors, especially in robust markets. Like I'm down here in the Tampa Bay market. We are absolutely on fire. Okay. There's very little inventory to choose from. There's a lot going on. So when something comes on the market, people clamor for it. I, it was just two years ago. I thought things were out of control when literally people were having fistfights in the street over real estate deals. And I thought to myself, this isn't good. I think we've been here before. Now, obviously, I'm not going to get in a fist fight over property, but as a realtor, I'm driving neighborhoods, going to service deals for my buyers, and I'm seeing this go on, this craziness go on, and we're back there again. Now, back when I was a house flipper, I felt that having many jobs going on at once and attending lots of closings for me was a sign of success, right? I, hey, what are you doing today, Tyler? I'm going to another closing. You know, thumbs up. But the reality of it is, was I buying right in every single case? Was I making the best buy choice? Was I getting the best deal I possibly could? Was I getting the best terms that I possibly could? Back then, I wasn't really stellar on getting terms at all. It wasn't until I met Larry Harbolt and started coaching with Larry Harbolt where I really started to refine that science of getting deals on terms instead of having to pay cash. Now, back then, you know, going to lots of closings, people thought, hey, that's a sign of success. Heck, I thought it was a sign of success. I was kidding myself. You ever hear that old saying where you start to believe your own BS? Well, that's exactly what goes on. And I see people in my market doing that right now. I see home flippers out there. They got a fancy logo and a catchy name. But realistically, they're running on borrowed time. I see them doing things like buying houses to flip on busy streets. Well, those are properties that are going to take a long time to sell. They're doing major renovations. I'm talking taking roofs off, entire roofs, doing major foundation repairs, things like that. 
when the market is starting to soften a little bit, right? People are uncertain. So in the fixer upper, there's lots of fixer fixer. Well, there's not a whole lot of fixer uppers that come on the market, but there's lots of pretty houses on the market right now. Not a great place to be in. So we're starting to see extended market times. Market times have already picked up. Foreclosures are non-existent in Tampa Bay market. Foreclosures have dropped drastically. It's got me thinking about, you know, when I go to an investor function and I observe what's going in around me, I almost always see somebody being pitched a property or some sort of investment gimmick. Hey, man, if you could just give me a hundred grand, we'll all make money. But it takes a lot more than a hundred grand to make money. I can tell you that. I hear hundreds of stories when buyers are grossly overpaying in markets. Because they feel if they don't act now, they're going to miss an opportunity. And I'll be honest with you, I have not been killing myself to try to put deals together lately because there's too much craziness out there in the apartment space. There's some crazy stuff going on. You got deals closing in South Florida around one or two cap, 3% return tops. And there's foreign money coming from overseas that thinks that is a good investment strategy. That's not going to work for me. That dog, that dog doesn't hunt. So you start thinking about stuff like this. That's why we shifted over to notes lately. We've been investing in notes. Now, we are ultra conservative when we invest in notes, and we're going to have an episode coming up. We're going to have Paige Panzarello back on to get an update on where we are with our note portfolio. But this is why we've shifted our focus to notes. Now, I've had buyers of mine recently that have shifted away uh, from things like notes because the money couldn't get placed fast enough. That is a dangerous place to be, folks. If you are willing to pass up future opportunity simply because your money is not moving fast enough, you have to take a step back and ask yourself, where is my mindset? This type of behavior, these are things that are going to cause you to make decisions that are going to cause you to lose money very soon. That is not a good place to be. So I would step back and reevaluate. Ask yourself, are you out there doing deals just to do deals? To occupy your time? Are you, are you, you got too much time on your hands? Let's talk about time for a second. I hate to say it, but I'm going to group them in the same category. Wholesalers and realtors. This is something that I struggle with every day. Not as a realtor, but as a buyer of an investor, somebody that buys property. These two types can fill up your inbox faster than you've ever imagined. Now, they text, tweet, post deals all over Facebook for consideration, right? Realtors and wholesalers, are, are, at least for me, the ones that I was dumb enough to give my phone number to, they'll blow up my phone. I got one guy over in Tampa. Every time he gets a deal, I don't care what it is. He thinks he's got a deal. This guy will grenade my phone. I finally had to block him. It was ridiculous. I pick up the phone. I've ripped his face off a couple times. Nothing. This guy is, I mean, Lord love him for being uh, as motivated as he is, but he's highly annoying. I, you know, I kind of want to see him on a milk carton and make my whole day. That would make my day. But <laughs> really, folks, they're over the top because, oh, my gosh, I have an opportunity. And here's the thing. Half the time, they don't have anything, especially the wholesalers. They got nothing. First question I ask him is, do you have it under contract? Um, uh, well, I have a JV agreement. Yeah, whatever, which means you don't have any control over the deal. That means you're not direct to the principal. That means the decision maker 
you have you probably don't even know who the decision maker is in this deal. Therefore, you are wasting my time. Whether you're emailing me, tweeting me, sending me postcards, filling up my voicemail, slide dialing me or whatever the hell you're doing. Leave me alone if you're not going to send me deals that are in my criteria. Now, folks, a lot of you go to real meetings. You've probably given up your email address. I love it when they pass a list around and then the guy in the corner right is writing down all the email addresses, right? Or when that newbie wholesaler sends out an email that has his entire buyer list on it and all the unscrupulous ones go suck up all the names off of it, right? That's probably how I've gotten a lot of the emailing lists. The bottom line is they're spamming you with deals that are not in your own criteria. Now, then if you if if you're if that's not the case with you, if you're getting if you if you think all these deals are wonderful that are coming over, I got news for you. If you are not focused on an investor identity, if you are not focused on a niche in real estate investing, you're not going to have any focus at all, which means you're going to have a very difficult time being successful. Now, nothing can waste away the hours of your day worse than people pitching you deals outside of your buying criteria. This is why it is so important to come up with a buying criteria and stick to it. Otherwise, your time is no longer going to be your own. Here's the thing. You can only do so much in one day. Now, these type of situations tend to push a lot of buyers into making decisions that otherwise they probably wouldn't have made simply because of a fear of missing out. If you don't have a buying criteria at all, you're scattered, you're all over the place. You're not focusing on anything for any length of time. That's a dangerous place to be because at that point, you're seeing deals come and more importantly, you're seeing deals go. And when you see deals go, that can be a scary thing for some people. And when those deals start to go away, Next thing you know, you're falling into a state of panic because, oh my goodness, I missed another deal. Now we have a problem. Well, no, ladies and gentlemen, that doesn't mean we have a problem. That just means an opportunity that probably didn't fit into your criteria anyway got away. So move on, suck it up, buttercup, and move past it. At the end of the day, we have to buy when the numbers make sense. The, that is the only time that we buy is when the numbers make sense. Otherwise, we let it pass us by. Some people have told me, because I ask people, why did you buy that deal? Well, I didn't want to disappoint Jimmy the wholesaler. What do you mean you didn't want to disappoint the wholesaler? Well, I, he would be mad at me. It wouldn't give me any more deals if I didn't buy one. He's already pitched me five deals and I had to take one or he'd stop giving me deals. I hear this and I'm thinking to myself, wow, just when I think we couldn't get any dumber, you continue to impress me. Good job. Seriously, though, folks, let's not make buy-sell decisions based on what other people think of us. I've never heard anything so ridiculous in my life. Don't be one of those people that makes these decisions, then winds up having buyer's remorse. Then you start screaming, oh, I got taken advantage of. No, you kind of deserve that one. I don't know what to tell you there. Analysis is one way you can help this problem. You cannot fully analyze every single opportunity that comes your way. It's just simply not, it's not possible. There's not enough hours in the day to allow that to happen. This is where applying an analysis shortcuts can be a huge benefit. For me, that's the 1.5 rule. I learned to use the 1.5 hurdle rate, and that helps me quite a bit be able to break deals down quickly, go, no go. Or if anything, it's a measuring stick. 
a measuring stick that I can hold up to a deal to see how far out of the realm of reality we really are. And it looks like this. Gross rent divided by 1.5%. Gross rent divided by 1.5%. That tells me my maximum strike price. We've talked about that in previous episodes. I use that as a quick, quick ruling guide to tell me if I'm going to waste my time looking any further. If they are too far away from where that end result should be, I just simply pass and go on to something else, something a little more beneficial of my time. So establish a quick test scenario to help you quickly analyze go, no go. Because if you stop and look at every single deal and analyze every single deal and do the numbers on every single deal, you're not going to have many hours left in the day that I can tell you. Fear of missing out comes a lot from social media distraction. I can tell you that social media, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Snapchat, you pick it. They have stolen the focus of Americans. We are completely stuck staring at these screens for countless hours. Just stuck there, unable to do a darn thing. All of us that have are subscribed on any sort of social media platform, probably if you really are honest with yourself and look in the mirror, you probably spend way too much time. I'm one of them. I got my hand up right now. I'm one of them. Have my hand up because I'm glued to social media or mobile devices more often than I should be. I could be far more productive than I actually am. If I had no social media in my life, it's, I would be, I'm completely, I mean, I think I'm unstoppable now. I can't imagine how much more productive I would be. Recently, my wife and I just bought a piece of property up in uh, Central Florida, North Florida, about 25 acres up there to hunt, and we're going to put a cabin on it, that type of thing. Very remote, so remote that, number one, you got to turn off the paved road, go down a series of dirt roads, go through several lock gates to get there, only to get to a place where my cell phone does not work at all. Which means if I fall down and go, boom, we got problems because I can't even call for 911. But you know what? I'm okay with that. So if you ever have an episode that uh, doesn't come live on Friday morning at six o'clock, you probably know what happened. <laughs> My phone didn't work. Whoops. But seriously, we're all glued to our mobile devices every waking minute, it seems to me. I suffer from this. I can waste countless hours stro scrolling on Facebook and Watching YouTube videos, I recently downloaded an app. And at the time, I don't have it in front of me right now, but um, the name of it, I can't think of it. But there, I've got it off the App Store on iTunes. And this app basically tracked how many times I uh, unlocked my screen on my phone. And when I did unlock it, how many times I was in one app versus another. And then I have another app that I do recognize. That I do remember the name of it. It's called uh, Rescue Time that I have on my Mac my uh, iMac and my MacBook. And when I spend too much time on Facebook or, or I spend too much time on Amazon doodadding or whatever, it warns me and then it shuts me off. So now I'm locked out. Well, the problem is that I advertise a lot on Facebook and I keep lying to myself and saying that I'm on there for advertising when in reality I'm watching cat videos and I'm not productive. Then I get behind schedule and then things don't go exactly like I, like I want. Right. You see, it's that urge that comes from FOMO. That's what keeps us engaged in social media platforms. And for many people, fortunately, this hasn't happened to me, but for many people, it keeps them locked in the financial shackles of life, folks. 
Fortunately, I've been able to escape the rat race. But I'm here to tell you the reason I was able to escape the rat race is because I was so damn busy taking so much action. Early on, when we, when I left the government employment and went back, came back as a civilian, I was so busy, focused on my financial freedom. I didn't have time for social media. And I believe that's part of the reason why I was so successful in such a short period of time. I escaped the rat race in 11 months from the word go. 11 months. In 11 months, I managed to take down my first 26 doors and get out of the rat race. I did that without social media. I was laser focused on acquiring property, cash flowing assets, passive income. That's all I cared about. And I got laser focused and I got financially free. So you're probably thinking, well, that's great, Tyler. You know, you can, thanks for pointing out all my flaws. Now I feel bad. I want to drive off a bridge. Well, before you do that, let me give you a couple solutions here because this is not a hopeless situation. I'm here to tell you when dealing with people, try to organize your time to avoid unplanned time wasters from getting in your way and disrupting your focus. For me, that's wholesalers. If a wholesaler calls me, that is like not a thing you want to do with Tyler. Don't call me without an appointment. My mother my daughters and my wife and my closest friends get to call me without an appointment. Everybody else needs an appointment. Okay. So get your schedule, take command of your schedule and don't let these people suck up your time. It's okay to let that phone ring, ding or chime. Okay. The end of the world is not going to happen if you don't answer it. And trust me, I have to tell myself this too. I promise you that the person on the other end can wait. I promise you that. Second, never buy based on speculation. Only invest in what you understand. If you don't understand it, ask questions. Not to the person that's selling it to you. Ask questions to somebody else. Okay? Heck, get on my calendar and schedule appointment. I'll give anybody 15 minutes of, of, of my time if they have a question related to a deal. My students get that as part of the benefits of being a cash flow guy student is deal review. And we will spend as long as it takes going through that deal before you get to the closing table to make sure that you don't lose money. Those that are in the mastermind are taking advantage of that now. Don't let fear of missing out on a windfall profit based on somebody else's opinion impact your judgment. That wholesaler standing in front of you going, man, seven fifty a month times four units. That's three grand a month coming in your pocket. No, it's not. It's $3,000 coming into your bank account and about $2,250 coming back out if you've, everything works perfectly. So it's not $3,000 a month coming in because you've got repairs and debt service and closing costs and property managers and, and uh, all these little extra things that add up every month. Water bills, sometimes a power bill. Uh, well, the tenants pay the power. Not always. In apartment buildings, there's such a thing called a house account. A house account means that the owner of the building pays for lighting the common area, maybe electricity in the laundry rooms, the dryers, maybe a gas bill. Like in Memphis, a lot of our properties in Memphis have, have uh, natural gas for heat and for stoves. And I pay for that for those entire buildings. Had I not allowed for that, I'd be in for a big upset, let me tell you. So please don't buy based on speculation. Lastly, require, and I could go on for days on these topics, but I want to wrap it up here. Require anyone selling something to you to prove their claims. Now, if they project a certain result, 
or performance from an investment, make them prove that projection with historical fact. Under no circumstances do we take what they say at face value. They have to prove it. That means have them sell you and provide the facts. Oh, this thing will actually rent for $750 a month. That's outstanding. How did you know that? Can you come to give me some sort of documented proof that it will rent for that? I'm sure you're accurate, but I'm probably going to need to prove it to my financial friends. So how can we prove that? Oh, well, Johnny and Susie said so. I see. Are Johnny and Susie going to insure the property in the event that it doesn't? Well, no. Okay. So what can we base things on? That's when we pick up the phone. We call property managers. We ask property managers, what would this rent for? More often than not, they will give you a conservative number. Why will they give you a conservative number? Because they're realtors and they're lazy and they want to get tenants easy. And it's much easier to run a place for $600 a month than it is for $750. So they're going to say $600 to make their job easy. So you know if the property manager says $600, that they can probably pretty definitely get it done for that. Otherwise, they know you're going to be all over them if that's not the case. So let's just call it like we see it, folks. The reason why you listen to the show is I don't pump any, any smoke up your skirt. That's just the reality of it. One strategy is you can call Craigslist ads. Former old Craigslist ads that are still in there. Ask them, is it still available? No. Outstanding. What'd you rent it for? Here's where the bull comes in. Because no landlord ever wants to say they got a discount or they gave a discount. Oh, I was offering it for $750, but I had to give it, for, give it away for $600. You'll never have that conversation, I assure you. So that's why I like the property manager route. When you do buy, make sure you get an estoppel letter from the tenants. That's part of your due diligence. I don't care if it's a single family house or a 500 unit apartment building. The tenant needs to sign a statement that the rent is a certain amount of money and they've put a certain amount of money to given a certain amount of money to the landlord for a deposit. And you should have a lease that backs that up. That way there is no, he said, we said, she said the day after closing, I'm here to tell you. Now, your title company, your realtor, everybody will probably say, oh, you don't need that. I'm here to tell you, yes, you do. The worst thing you could ever do is to buy a property with an assumption that it's going to generate a certain amount of money. And then lo and behold, it doesn't. You want to talk about a problem? That's a problem. And if you buy one of those cash, call Uncle Tyler because I'll buy it from you at a discount. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you got some benefit out of this episode. Fear of missing out is probably one of the biggest things that holds investors back. It's one of the biggest things that causes investors to make stupid decisions. It's one of the biggest ways that we can waste money. Don't let it get you. That's why I made this episode. Have a great day and I appreciate you listening. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.